You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about strategies that you can use to improve your team's overall defense. And who doesn't want to improve your team's defense, right? So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 121 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Uh, Another week of volleyball. We are in our preseason, full on steam, rolling along. We had three games this week, and it has been a roller coaster every week. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in today. And for my regular listeners, as always, you know much I appreciate you tuning in to another episode where the goal, just like every week, is to provide value, provide tangible things that you can take back to your gym and apply right away. And that is what we're here to do today, that's what I hope to be able to deliver to you today. But... um. Yeah, so we before we get get to the episode, just we have our preseason happening right now with our college team, and it is uh, it is a, a roller coaster. We have six new players. We have six rookies uh, to the team, and um, if you've been following along, you know you know with COVID, you know over here in Canada, unfortunately, you know in the my friends in the U.S., you continued playing in your leagues. You know things happen, but over here, we lost an entire season and. You know, players graduate, and then the recruiting class was tough coming up uh, because we were shut down for volleyball, period, over in Canada for over a year or so, almost two. And um, this is a not not, it's not a rebuild year for us, but it's definitely a a new team, I guess you want to call it, because we still have a lot of veterans. So this is by no means a rebuild. We are are still trying to compete and try to win a championship. Uh, And we we have great tools and great players in order to compete for that. But it is taking some time to get our new players acclimated to the system and just to the higher level. It's not club ball anymore. It's just, you know, this is the highest level you're potentially going to play unless you go national or pro. And it's really interesting in the preseason. And I don't know how you guys are running your preseasons or thinking about it but you know the goal of the preseason yes okay anytime you play a match you want to win without a doubt you're playing to win with one caveat and that is you may not always go with your best lineup you're still playing to win but you might not always go with your best lineup and because of that you may end up losing but the goal of preseason is a couple things and this is kind of not the point of this episode but I just while, while it's on the train of my thought here. The goal of the preseason is to build chemistry with your team. Okay, that's one. Get used to the setter-hitter relationships. Get used to all the touches. Figure out your team's deficiencies. Because you can only do so much in practice, but you really need matches to figure out where your weaknesses are and how you need to address them. 
And it's really evident in preseason games. And you can see, okay, now here's where my players are falling under pressure. Here's the rotation that we we can't seem to get out of. This is the player that is really poor at passing out of five. You know, all these different things you can see in a game, you can't see in practice. That's why I always say preseason is a season in itself. It's an opportunity for you to go through a season, the way I call it, and then start your regular season where the record matters. So it's in it's its own season in itself, and I always like to, you know, when, when we do our, our our setting up for our preseason, I I always like to play tougher teams that I know is gonna is gonna challenge us, uh, and that's just you know that's the way we do it. So, with that being said, we've lost every game. <laughs> We're zero three, and uh, yeah, you might think I'm crazy for a minute on the pod, but it's I'm actually, and I know it sounds crazy, but I'm not worried. And it's, it's funny to get my rookies to understand why I'm not worried because, like I said, the goal is to win, but we're, we're looking at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is getting our systems down, making the mistakes now. Our guys are serving tough. Our guys are serving extremely tough to locations where we're trying to exploit. And that, that's not there yet, but it will come as preseason goes along. So we're, we're committing a ton of serving errors in the first three matches, which I, I expect. You know, I see other other teams out there that are, and again, I, not not to say that this is every team, but some teams are playing it safe. You know, just, just get it over, get it to a good zone. But no, I, I want you to shoot your best shot. That's our culture. That's the way we do things. You know, we're working on our our systems, our backcourt, our backcourt systems, our, off, our frontcourt systems, and all that kind of, th- all those kind of things. And that is, that's a systems play. And the systems play is important because when you learn how to play in a system and you do it under pressure without getting penalized, that's how you grow and develop as a player and as a team. So coaches, preseason, preseason is an opportunity for you to, without a doubt, win, but to also make sure that you test your systems, tweak it, perfect it for the regular season, so that when the regular season comes, yes, we're progressing, but there's no tweaking. There's no, oh, we got to go back to the drawing board. Oh, this doesn't really look good with this. This is what it is. And f- ironically enough, we had our um, our third preseason match today, and we lost in the fourth set. We actually should have gone to five, but that's another conversation. But we realized, hey, wait a minute. This is actually our strong lineup. This is a lineup that is competitive and is winning, and we were doing great with this lineup. We slipped up at the end. You know, it is what it is, but... It was good, and it took us three matches to figure out what our strong lineup is. But now we have a really strong lineup, and we love it. And now we can build and grow off that. So, sorry, I know this episode is about team defense, but there's a little spiel about some preseason action. And just just so you could think about your preseason plans, too, and kind of go forth. All right, let's uh, let's talk about uh, defense. All right, so I'm going to break, that, break this up into a bunch of different strategies for you, okay? The first strategy. Now... I did an episode, um, it was episode 71, uh, and episode 71, we talked about blocking strategies, so write that down, episode 71 is a good episode to listen to because we go over all the different types of blocking strategies that you could use and when to use them and how to use them and things like that. I'm going to briefly go over some of them in this episode because it ties into what I want to talk about, but blocking strategies is definitely important, so take a listen to episode 71. So the first strategy is a really obvious one. And that is to know your opponent and to know your league. Now, this is important because 
if, for example, you're a youth coach coaching, you know, 14U girls or 14U boys or a younger age group, 13U and, and things like that. Well, knowing your league, the athletes that you're coaching against or your, your athletes as well, they may not be able to do certain things. For example, they may not be able to swing line. You may go through an entire season and you may not have a player or one player maybe in the entire league that could swing line effectively. Well, that's a that's important information because if the team can't swing line, then we don't need to block line, right? There is no point in blocking that area if the if the opponent can't hit it. So just tactically right there, by knowing your league and knowing your opponent, we can have our pin blockers their job is to establish the block, okay? The, the player is in position one and, and um, sorry, not one, positions two and four. Their job is to establish the block, but now they can establish their block a little more inside because they know that the hitter can't swing line. And then when your middle closes, you'll have an even better block, okay? So that's, that's an example of knowing your league. You know, there's a lot of times where I can't remember the, the, where the research is or what the research said, but basically there was a coach who did a, a, tr- a long study. And at the end of the study, the conclusion was that majority of the balls that are attacked in this coach's league were in short area six, area five, area one, and not many attacks were going deep. So based on that information, all of a sudden our back row defense now is going to change. It might not be the traditional you know, perimeter, aka six back defense, where the player in position six is a little further back and the player in position one and five or, or more up, you know, closer to the attack line, you may want to alter your defense according to where majority of the shots are going to go. And, and in that particular league, they did more of a, of like a, a really short U, if you want to call that a U, not, not really a, like a V, like a V is more, you know, six back perimeter type defense, but they did more of a U, like a, a U is really not a good example of this. I can't think of the letter, but it is a U, just a smaller U. All right, and that's what they did. So six basically came up. So your opponent, this is where it comes in. Now, if you don't have film on your opponent, okay, I understand that's tough. But what you can do is you can have your, you know, your first set can be a great assessment set where you guys are looking for tendencies, looking at, wait, are they hitting deep? Are they hitting short? What about the different types of shots they can make? Are they using their middle? Are they not using their middle? So this is how you this is how you tactically and know that I'm not talking about skill here, by the way. So I'm not talking about our play. I'm not telling you, okay, we need to be low on the ball. We need to be reading. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just understanding your opponent and your league and how we can maximize our efficiency to combat what they can and cannot do. So film. Now, if you have access to film, that is fantastic because that's gonna tell you. A lot of information. It's going to tell you tendencies. You know, it's going to tell you uh, can they hit line? Can they hit sharp? Do they do they like a specific type of shot? You know, that's going to help your team's defense because if you know a player, their best player likes this one shot. Well, when their best player is front row or when the, their best player gets set, how do you think our backward defense is going to adjust? It's going to adjust based on film and our scouting report. So team defense. Knowing your opponent, adding with and using the element of film, it's huge. It is absolutely huge in your ability to. Because again, defense is yes, there is reaction and skill involved. I'm not going to doubt that. Absolutely, 
But what do you think great teams do? They know their opponent. They know their tendencies, and they exploit those tendencies. And that's what we're going to do by trying to make ourselves play better defense, is, you know, based on their offensive tendencies. Another thing, and this ties into episode 71 that I was talking about earlier, our middles. Our middles are important when it comes to our team's defense. They are the ones that are going to kind of not control the net, but they play a majority of the net. Your pins are only responsible for their their checks, right? The right side, the right side, and the left side hitter. But your middle controls the majority of the net, so they are very important, and they can do a bunch of things. Now, normally the middles can do three things when it comes to blocking. Okay, three things. They can stay neutral, and staying neutral at the net means they are not moving until the setter sets the ball. So they're in the middle of the net. And they don't move until the setter sets the ball. And then the middle can do another thing. They can say front. They can front the middle. So fronting the opponent middle. So what that means is no matter where the middle attacker goes, our middle is going to follow them along the net line before the set is made. So in case the middle is running a different route now, they're running maybe a 30 or 31, well, our middle blocker is going to be right in front of them no matter what. And then they go from there, okay? So understanding that is important. The other thing a middle can do is commit. So if, for example, you know that the other middle attacker is fantastic and they like to set him or her in system, you may tell your middle blocker, if they're in system, I want you to commit on the middle attack. Commit. That way you're up there. And again, that's being tactical here. You're, you're, playing, you're playing the numbers. If they're in system and they have a tendency of hitting the middle attacker, why not commit? Make them beat you in another area and it's something that they don't normally do. That's being strategic and being tactical. So that's what, you know, some of the things that your front court middle can do. Okay. Your front court uh, left side. Okay. So your left side player that's front court. What they can do is a thing called fronting the setter. Now you, you've probably heard me talk about this on the pod before. But fronting the setter is when the, the left side blocker is going to stand in front of the setter when the setter's front row. And the reason we do that is to protect any setter dumps. And it's also to help with the middle attack. Because if the middle is coming into the setter and the left side blocker is jumping, they can help with that middle attack as well. So those are the things that you got to think about. And this is going to be based on the team's tendencies. This is how you improve your team's defense by, by tactically setting up your block with, with respect to what they normally do on the other side. Okay. So understand that's important. All right. So we talked about film and how that's important. Um, another thing too, that I, I will mention is setter tendencies. Setter tendencies are important because if you can figure out you know, what a setter does, that, that's all. That's, that sometimes setters have tells. And if you can figure out the setter's tell, that's great. Because now you can read that and move accordingly and earlier than you normally would have. So, you know, the, some of the common ones are, you know, when the setter arches their back. Well, the setter's arching their back, they're probably going right side. So the minute you see the arched back, you can release early and go to the right side. Right? So reading that cue and acting on that cue is important. Okay. So that's where film and tendency and knowing your opponent in the league come in. Now, um, the other thing that I want to mention, so that's, that kind of, that's kind of like one big strategy, 
It's more, it's like it's two. It's knowing your opponent, knowing your league, and then two film. So it's a bit it's like two strategies. So the third one that I want to talk about is knowing your responsibility. And this is a big one because notice I'm not getting specific on what type of defense to run. That is entirely up to you coaches. And I've had episodes where I talked about defensive systems and structures and things like that. But in terms of improving your team's defense, your players need to know where they need to be given any attack that comes over the net. So let's let's play this out. What are some different, different types of attacks that can come over the net? Well, first is if the ball is in system on their side and there's a seam in the block, meaning there's a space in the block, what do we do as a back row? Where do we position ourselves? Well, if there's a seam, the way that I coach it, I want my players to move up into the seam and play defense. If there's no seam and there's a sealed block, I want my two players on the wing, so like position one and position five, to move up and get ready to play the tips. And I want my player in position six to be chasing hands. Chase hands in six. That's their job. Their job is to chase. So this is how what we can do to when there's a when there's a sealed block. Okay? And this the interesting thing is is knowing that, that's one, knowing that, that's one thing. But acting on that is a whole other ballgame. Because what you're gonna find, coaches, and you probably know what I'm talking about here, is when this happens in a game, let's say there's a sealed block, you may look at your players and say, wait a minute, that's not where you're supposed to be. And they'll tell you, I don't know, I know I'm supposed to be there, but they don't act on it. So it's important to not only know where they're supposed to be, but also to act on it as well and trust your read. Okay. What if your what if the opponent, what if the attacker tips? What if they roll? Do your backcourt players know where they are supposed to be when that happens? And more importantly, can they act accordingly? And I see this even at my level. The attacker will go up to tip. Instead of their motion to swing, they drop their shoulder, they extend their hand out, and it's clear that it's a tip. And when I look at my backcourt defense sometimes, nobody's moving. We're waiting for the tip to happen before we decide to move our feet to the to the ball. Well, coaches, that's not defense. Defense is about reading and acting on that read. So the minute you see the player drop their shoulder and put stick their hand out to tip, before they contact the ball, our players need to be moving to their positions to get that tip. So for my backcourt defense, my backcourt defense is moving up with the exception of the player in six who stays back in case they tip deep. So we recognize they're going to tip, but we have to move prior to the tip. So my other players are going to play the tip, and my six back will play the back in case they tip deep. And you'll see, coaches, you'll when you go look at film, see if your players move after they've made the read, or they wait until the ball is contacted, and then they move, which is too late by then in many cases. It's kind of like serving, for example. You know, when a, when a ball is served and it's going short, Everybody probably calls short. They see it's going short, but watch their feet. They don't move until the ball trickles over the tape and then they go and try to dive and it's too late. So when you recognize a short serve, we need to act on that short serve and move up right away, just like defense. When you recognize a tip, a roll, we don't wait for it to happen. We move up accordingly 
And that is the key to playing defense, is to see it, read it, and act on it. And when you do that, you become a much more stronger defensive team. Okay, so knowing response, another one, what happens when free balls come over? Short free balls, long free balls, how does that work? Where are we transitioning? Who is responsible for what? It's important that you practice and your players know that and are and it's confident with it. And then there's another debate too in terms of when do you release off the net for a free ball? So here's my take. If the players are backing up and they're going to bump it, you're absolutely backing off for a free ball because they're going to bump it. But if there's any indication that they're going to attack above the top of the tape with a swing of any sort, whether that's a roll, tip, it doesn't matter. We need to have blockers. We need to have blockers because, you know, we block first. The only time we don't block is if it doesn't give us a competitive advantage. And that is when it's evident that a free ball is going to come over where it's not an attack. It's not a, a ball that's driven hard. It's a free ball that we can now place and play. Okay? So that is important. Make sure everyone is, knows where they are. They read. They act on that read. Okay? Um. What else did I have here? The other thing, I, I have another point that I threw in here, but uh, basically I, have, I say, make sure everyone is moving when the opponent's setter sets. And it's true. We stay in our IDPs. We know where our, our initial defensive position is when we're on the court. When the setter sets the ball, all players should be moving. We should be in movement, okay? So we've made the read. We move to position and we get ready to the, for the attack. So once that setter sets the ball, that's where the movement comes in, both on the block and on the defense. Because then we'll see if there's a seam in the block. We'll see the what the hitter is doing. We'll see where the set location is, all that stuff. But it's important that we move. If a player is not moving, that player is not playing defense. I'm sorry. They should be moving somewhere into position to play defense. Okay? So that's what have I talked about. Three, three things so far, four things. Responsibility, acting on it. Well, I guess three big ideas. The fourth, and I heard this from, I think I think it was the Mighty Ducks, and it was a really great line. Defense is desire. And that is, that is such, that's such a great statement. It's so true. Defense is desire. If you don't want to play defense, you won't. You have to want the ball. And it's funny, I was in a timeout today, and that's why my voice is kind of, it's kind of scrappy right now. I don't know if you can tell, but I've been yelling all day. But I was in a timeout, and it was a simple thing like a player got aced. And I, I told that player, you, you need to want the ball back. You need to want the ball to come to you. Just like as a digger, you need to want that ball to be attacked to you to pop it up. That's desire. When a ball is ricocheted or it's, you know, it's dug, but you have to chase, I want to see my guys chasing and when one player is chasing, I want to see other players follow so that if they get that touch, we can get the ball over the net. But that's desire. Defense is desire. It's a passion. It's, it's I want to play defense. Just like everyone's excited about hitting and swinging, we need to be equally as excited about playing defense and wanting that. Okay? All right, let's go to strategy number five. Communication. Yeah, communication is really important when it comes to defense. 
a simple, I go, you know, ball goes up, free ball comes over the net. Even if you know it's you, I go, simple, mine, I go here, I'm here. Really simple. That little piece of it, piece of that little word, a couple words, will help other players stop from collapsing in the court, release and getting and get ready to hit. And that gives you more space as a player to then make that pass and execute. So communication is super, super important. You know, when it when you see a tip coming, you yell tip. You know? When the tip is coming, if you're a backcourt defender playing right behind the block, let the blockers know, you know. Peter's my blocker. I'm saying, hey, Peter, I'm behind you. I'm behind you. I got I got the tip. Really simple. And you'll be surprised. This helps prevent miscues. Coaches, you know this. How many times? I, and this, is, this has happened to me in my career. It's a scattered play. Free ball comes over. Everybody watches it fall and hits the ground. I mean, how many times has that happened? It's unreal. But that wouldn't happen if... We go back to knowing your responsibility and acting on your responsibility and as well as communicating that responsibility, okay? And the last thing, am I on six or seven? I think I'm on six, right? One, let's see, one, I think, let's just say I'm on six. The last thing is IQ, okay? IQ, make the play. And it's our job as coaches to teach our players, look at film and show them what uh, what smart, intelligent volleyball looks like. And I'll give you an example. If a ball is passed into the backcourt where the setter has got to bolt to get there, do your players have the IQ to call that setter off and say, I got it. I'm taking the ball. That's, imp- that's the thing. So one of the things that you're going to learn, they're going to see at the higher level is liberos will step in and say, I'm here and put their hands out, let everyone know they have the ball and they'll make the set to the left side. And then we all collapse to cover, and we make a play. But a lot of times, I see young, younger teams too, especially younger teams are waiting for the setter to call help. I mean, Coach, you heard this, right? Setter, call help, call help. Sometimes that's hard to do because if the ball is passed into the backcourt, the setter's going to start releasing to go. And by the time the setter releases, they can't get to it and call help, it's too late. Coaches, how many times does that happen? Bad pass, setter chases, Realizes they can't get a call to help, and then all of a sudden, ball's on the ground. So does our backcourt have the ability to recognize that setter's not going to get the ball and step in and take it with their hands? Which also chimes into the fact that we need to be working on our ball control backcourt, well, for all our players for that matter. You know, if a ball is passed tight into the front court and my setter can't get to it because the middle's in the way, well, does our middle have the ability to take it with their hands? Now, that's like worst, worst, worst case scenario. Any ball that's passed into the front court, we want our setter setting it. But I'm just hypothetically giving you the worst case scenario. So IQ, you know, understanding defensive responsibilities and positioning and things like that, and when to take the ball, when not, you know, those are the types of things that as they get experience, they have to be aware of it too, but as they get experience, these things will all help with your defense. The last thing that I will say And this kind of ties into my first or second strategy when it comes to fronting, neutral, and commit is go back and listen to episode 71 where I talked about bunch blocking and spread blocking. And I'm going to touch on that really quickly here. But basically, if you know that a lot of the team's offense is ran down the middle of the court, 
So maybe they run a lot of 30s, 51s, maybe they run pipes, right? Maybe they have a lot of attack. So when I say attacking, it could be left side attack, it could be middle attack, it could be backward attack. The attacks are coming from the middle of the floor, not the pin, not the pins, not the wing, not the the, pair, the player in position, you know, two or four, but in the middle of the net. Then we may want to do a bunch block system, which is where your pin blockers on the ends, the, the blockers in position two and four, come in and pinch in to help the middle out. And if they go left side, then we have to do our footwork and transition. Now, if a team doesn't use the middle very much and they're very pin heavy, meaning they're, they're going left side, right side, which is very common in, in youth volleyball, then we don't want a bunch. We want a spread block. And spread block is when our pin blockers is an arm's length away from the antenna and then one step in. That is where their initial defensive position, their IDP, that's where their starting point for their block is. One hand off the antenna and one step in, and that will put them in the best position to, to block those pin blockers. So as a coach now, you have to decide what, where do you want your blockers to set up? And that's going to be dependent on the team you're playing as well as the skill level of your blockers. So at the higher level, you may see more of a bunch blocking system because higher level teams like to run a lot of pipe and they, they run the middle of the court very well and we want to help. Not to say that they don't run pins, but you know, the higher level, that's what they choose to do and we want to protect the middle of the floor. A lot of pro teams and national level teams, they will bunch block regardless because they have the skill level to have two players transition in unison outside or, or right side to, to block a ball. Right, but that's kind of the, that's where the, the mindset and the thinking comes in when it comes to the bunch or the spread. All right. So we talked about a ton of strategies here to improve your team's defense. And they're very, and mind you, they're, they're tactical. All right. This is a more of a tactical episode. This isn't a skill based episode. So I'm not teaching you, oh, make sure your players are low, make sure their stance is wide, make sure their palms are up, hands are out. This is how you dig a ball. This episode's not about how to dig a ball. This episode's about how to structure your defense and strategies to improve it to maximize your team's ability to execute. And that's what we're trying to do. So let's recap. First thing we talked about, know your opponent, know your league. This will help you create your systems and plan where you want to have your players are uh, You know, with respect to what your league and uh, an opponent looks like. If you have access to film, really watch film because tendencies will become so apparent during film. You'll see what the middle what what kind of offense do they like to run are they running the middle of the court very much do they like to hit their middles a lot then that might depend that might help you depend on whether you're going to be neutral commit or just front the middle okay do they ever hit line do they ever hit certain areas based on that information you can establish and set up your defense accordingly all right the other thing is you know strategy number 3 here know your responsibility in terms of where you play what happens when a free ball comes over? What happens when there's a tip, when there's a seam? Players have to know their responsibility. And more importantly, they need to act on that responsibility. And I see it time and time again. Tip comes, we wait for the player to contact the ball. And by the time it's coming over the net, now we're moving and it's too late. Or at least it's very difficult to make that dig. So we need to move as soon as we see the cue, we see the hitter, do something or the server do something, we need to move and act on that cue and trust that cue. And once players start doing it, that is how they're going to become amazing defenders. And you're going to have better, uh, better team defense because of that. So 
what happens when a free ball comes over? What happens when, you know, when uh, they they tip or they roll or they show the motion of that? You know, what happens when all these things happen? How do we act? Make sure that everyone is moving when the opponent setter sets the ball. So when the other team setter sets the ball, we need to be all moving and then ready to go before contact is made. Defense is desire. You got to desire. You got to want it. You got to want them to hit you. You want them to serve at you. And that will help. And then communication, really important. We talked about communication. You know, when let's say someone tips, we all call tip. Do we act on that tip? Do we move? Let's say they tip right over your double block. Let your blockers know you're right behind you. You know, hey, if Peter is your blocker, hey, Peter, I'm, I'm behind you. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got the tip. Let them know so they don't reach back. They shouldn't be reaching back regardless, but let them know so it helps. And then the last thing was IQ. Make sure you get your players a ton of experience, watch film, ask questions, develop their IQ so that they can start making smart volleyball plays. And the example I gave earlier was, you know, ball is passed into the backcourt, setter's chasing, probably is not going to get it. We need to realize that step in and take it with our hands and make sure we have the ability to do that. All right. So these are my top strategies to help improve your team's defense. I hope you were able to take away some nuggets some some things here. And if you're a DVA member, by the way, you have all of this inside Digital Volleyball Academy. I have entire live trainings on defensive systems and when you use it and when you don't. And if you're not a member of DVA and you like to be, head on over to Digital Volleyball Academy. Information's there. Can't wait to see you inside DVA so we can dive more into stuff like this. And if you're new and don't know what DVA is, it is my signature membership where I get to work with coaches from around the world by providing one-on-one support, giving them access to my courses and my trainings, jumping on Zoom twice a month with them where we engage in live training and Q&A, and providing them with an amazing community that they can you know, ask questions, get answers, talk to other coaches around the world, and they get behind-the-scenes access to what we do inside our gym. I basically welcome you into our gym so you can see what we're doing at the highest level of the sport with the exception of pro and national team, of course. All right, that's it from me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I'll see you next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.